for September 2nd, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 270. Imagine the story I'm telling is awesome. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather from Los Angeles, and it is Labor Day, and we are here to uh, to labor, to do this labor of love, this podcast of love uh, that we do, and we are here uh, with the panel to uh, overthink all manner of things, um, beginning with uh, former Disney starlets. Uh, Selena Gomez and Miley Cyrus. In fact, it's going to be the all Disney starlet podcast <laughs> all the time. Um, the, actually, the TFT podcast is is taking up residence in the. No, it's not. It's not actually. But um, because uh, you know there was this this little scene and uh, even less commented uh, event uh, twerking incident. Um, the, <laughs> the, the curious incident of the twerk in nighttime. Uh, in uh at the vmas with uh with miley cyrus's uh um sort of bizarre and uh extraordinarily um oh i don't crass uh performance was it really uh, extraordinarily crass for the vmas no i really? mean that's that's, a, that's a, this is an interesting this is an interesting point and i think we should we should get to it but it's it's been talked about as though it it alone has contributed to the decline and fall uh of western civilization and uh you know i don't know right that that happened the a long twerking time ago. has been attributed to the chemical weapons attack in syria in fact <laughs> there's a direct causal relationship so I think, it's the, I think it's the chemical weapons attack actually caused the twerking, but yeah. So, the, so that's, the, that's for the foreign policy uh, overthinking the podcast. Panel, panel, your question is: uh, Should we drop Miley Cyrus on Syria? <laughs> uh, there's, not, there's a joke to be made here about Middle Eastern politics and blurred lines, but I'm not going to make it myself. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the, the fact is, uh, this has been so beaten to death by every, uh, every facet. Uh, oh, now that we brought up Syria, everything that kind of touches that topic is going to feel terrible. <laughs> like every, beaten to death. Oh, too much violence and sadness. <laughs> no, oh. no, no, no. It's, it's just some fun twerking. Just some oh. fun appropriation of, uh, you know, of black culture by a white entertainer. Hey, that's a Wait, new Wait, what? That that happened? <laughs> that, that, that's a new story, isn't it? <laughs> that doesn't sound like something someone would do. Did Cindy Lauper release another jazz standards <laughs> album? What happened? <laughs> did did rock and culture, Jesus. Did rock and roll exist again? <laughs> Is Elvis alive? I mean, I know. But, geez. Uh Speaking of this, um, we're going to try to take this in a direction that I haven't seen any other uh, any other internet comment outlet um, take it. So we know that uh, Mr. Thick was dressed as Beetlejuice. Uh, so, so panel, your question this week, uh, you know, in honor of the the curious incident of the twerk in nighttime, is um, what other. Uh, Michael Keaton or Tim Burton character uh, should Miley Cyrus have have twerked or twerked against is is twerk transitive or intransitive 
Uh, maybe, maybe, um, I think it's, it's intransitive. I remember hearing some commentary on it being transitive, being a funny thing, like people mentioning it transitively in social media and other people being like, Oh, oh, oh that's so novel. So I don't, I, I don't twerk you. I twerk on you or at you yeah. or to you. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the thing that is twerking is you, right? Like the twerking is what's happening to your hips and gyrations, right? Uh-huh. Like. I guess. I mean, that's my general sense, right? It's, is, uh, I mean, you could, plus by knowledge, do you foxtrot on someone or at someone? Do you, like, lindy hop? I guess you could, can you lindy hop someone or waltz them? I'm going to waltz you so hard right now, man. <laughs> well, who's going to waltz me so hard? It's Peter Fenzel. <laughs> Pete, who, 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 who am I going to twerk? So Miley is going to twerk uh, on, or twerk transitively, uh, the character of Hunt Stevenson from the 1986 underrated uh, socioeconomic classic Gung Ho, played by Mr. Michael Keaton. Uh, in the movie, Gung Ho is a movie about xenophobia and the American auto industry in the mid-80s and the ja- rise of the Japanese auto industry. And Hunt Stevenson plays a Detroit auto worker who is attempting to uh, reconcile and work with uh, executives Japanese executives who've come to be in charge of his automotive plant, and he has to team up with the lesser Watanabe, I believe. <laughs> um, the Not Ken Watanabe, but, uh, oh gosh, the one who is also in a bunch of other comedic things, which I have to look up. Um, Jerry. No, it's not Jerry. Not Jerry Watanabe. Uh, but at any rate, so the thing about is that, first of all, uh, he's going to be terrified that, that Miley Cyrus is taking his job. That's going to be his main feeling as this is happening, right? Is that, like, he's going to be, like, he's going to be just, he's, he's dancing, right? He's dancing on stage, and all of a sudden, here's this exotic Miley Cyrus of a sort that he's really a, kind of uncomfortable with for kind of social reasons, right? For sort of, like, xenophobia, the other, the other approaches, right? It sort of threatens his way of, of doing his little Shebop dance or whatever he does on stage. It's another Cindy Lauper reference for no reason. Uh, Getty Watanabe was the Watanabe I was talking about. But anyway, uh, but then, like Hunt Stevenson in Gung Ho, he will make at least a token attempt to understand why this person is doing it. And, like, what is their perspective on the situation? Right? Like, it's like, oh, well, she seems to be dancing in this way for some sort of re- Maybe we could ask her what she thinks about it. Or, I mean, I'm sure people asked her and she said some sort of platitudinous answer, but it's like, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't immediately default to our own feelings of alienation and our own feelings. Maybe there's something we can learn. Maybe maybe twerking is simply more efficient than other forms of dancing. You know, maybe it's, it uses uh, Potion Connery twerking management systems uh, principles to reduce error rates. And maybe when there's a line of people twerking and one of them twerks a little bit off, they stop a whole line of twerkers and they go through and they, and they on this Labor Day, uh, they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they get all of the, uh, the twerking men uh, in line. So yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, Hunt Stevenson from Gung Ho, played by Michael Keaton. Look wow, that's a deep cut. The fucking <laughs> label. Oh, I did it wrong. Oh, God, I've ruined the podcast. I have oh. spoiled literally everything. I have defiled our sacred tradition here on this Labor Day, and I missed an opportunity to drink. I- oh, it's, it's double drink. It's not only did Pete go first, but Pete wasn't the first in, in alphabetical order. Sorry, Pete. That's right. We but screwed it up. We never screw it up. Oh, gee. <laughs> what is Paris is the end of Western civilization. Oh, my goodness. We need, uh, we need some twerk controls. I mean, we need some twerk quality controls on this, uh, on this podcast. I'm sorry. It is, it is with profoundest apologies uh, that I introduce to you for your over-twerking pleasure uh, the great 
Ben Adams. Happy Labor Day, everybody. <laughs> you took, you're, it's, it's a day off, you know, we're, no, no worries. So, so who, who, who's Miley Cyrus going to twerk on? I'm going to take the, the, the middle of the Venn diagram here between Michael Keaton and Tim Burton. And, of course, we're going to have Batman on stage <laughs> twerking with Miley Cyrus. And this, this is good because, you know, as, as you mentioned, Miley Cyrus is, you know, ap- appropriating uh, African-American culture here. And, and I think the, the only, play, only people that might get more upset would be nerd culture. So we also need to appropriate Batman mm-hmm. in order to really get people fired up. That, that's how to get those clicks. If, if you want people to talk about Miley Cyrus twerking more, you got to put Batman on stage. Is uh, Miley Cyrus going to be played by Ben Affleck? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Ben Affleck is not an actor with the gravitas and with the kind of quality career that we expect uh, for an actor playing Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Although a, I'm sure there's a, a giant Kevin teddy Smith bear. Yeah, the te- I was thinking in the Kevin Smith movie he'd play the giant teddy bear, but he probably <laughs> wouldn't like it. I thought Kevin yeah. Smith was the giant teddy bear. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you think that was Kevin Smith in that giant teddy bear costume that Miley Cyrus was twerking on? That adds a you whole heard it here first on uh, <laughs> on overthinking it. So yeah. this is the still this is still the uh, the pre. Um, this is the pre uh, nipples on the bat suit Batman. So this is uh, this is the Batman who uh, this is the kind of dark and gritty reboot before dark and gritty reboots were a thing, huh? Right, and of course Keaton was the original. He's not a serious enough actor to play Batman that played Batman, right? And was awesome. Although, again, dark and gritty and dark and carnivalesque are two slightly different approaches. Both involve a certain imprecision, but it's directed with a different sort of energy and, and continuum. Right, like, or is that is that too much? Is that no. too much for us of the week? Dark and dark and carnival esque, I think, is a great way to describe uh, a lot of a lot of films that a lot of the oeuvre of Tim Burton. Oh, oh, honestly, I thought you were going to use the that. To, I thought you were going to use that to segue to me. <laughs> the darkest, most carnival esque member of the Overthinking It podcast panel. <laughs> Ringmaster, lion tamer, trapeze artist, and guy who rides a motorcycle inside a metal sphere and loops smartly. <laughs> oh no, Matt, you should Matt, you have to you have to do the introduction. I've been getting too high on my power from the breaking bad recaps. You, I should step back and let How you are the how are those going, by the way? Oh, uh, they are awesome, and Breaking Bad is awesome, and it's been a great season, so you should tune in and watch them on YouTube and or listen to the audio track. We've just been having a lot of fun, uh, really playing with a lot of the visual imagery. I really feel like we get to the heart of the episodes with that the sort of conversational format more than a, a text recap really can. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and I've, it's been a, r- a really great time. And keep watching the show so you can catch up before the end of the season, Matt. That's we want a, you on these things. I, I did. I'm, I'm uh, so as of this Labor Day, I am uh, through season four of, oh, wow. of Breaking Bad. So I'm starting in on season five, the first half of season five, season five A, which they have on uh, on Netflix still. So uh, I'll be watching. I'll be binge watching all of those after we're done recording this podcast tonight. <laughs> And staying up all night and sleeping all of Labor Day. So, uh, all right, you, you, you know the death-defying, the flying, the amazing, the the dark and the carnivalesque, the not gritty, because it also involves a certain imprecision, but uh, is directed with a slightly different energy. Please give it up for the slightly different energy of Mark Lee. Why? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I would have Miley Cyrus twerk with one of the lesser-known Tim Burton, uh, not Tim Burton, Michael Keaton characters, but an important one nonetheless. I'm, of course, referring to Porco Rosso. 
Yes, he was the, <laughs> he was the voice of Porco Rosso in the English language uh, dub of the famous Miyazaki animated movie about a, a pig who flies a fighter plane. Who flies a fighter plane? It's a fantastic yeah. movie. You should go see it. And look, there's teddy bears on the stage already. There should be more animals, a different kind of animal, you know, to celebrate the diversity of uh, animals upon which Miley Cyrus can twerk. And I think uh, Porco Rosso would be a great choice. And also, it would offend the Japanese people who love Miyazaki movies. So uh, everybody wins. No, no, he was a biplane pilot, right? Was he like a World War One era biplane pilot? I, I believe, yeah, I believe right it now, right? was a World War One. Yeah. Awesome. I think, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds perfect. Hmm. Which, which um, Is she going to stand on the biplane like those stunt people? Yeah, from- how, how is this going to work at the VMAs? <laughs> what, what is she going to twerk with? Is she going to bend at the waist uh, on the biplane? As the, you know? I, I was thinking more of that just Porco Rosso. You know, he, does a lot of the, he spends a lot of the movie being stoic. Just sort of standing there, you know, as uh, as the chaos of the world swirls around him. So he just sort of stand there in his trench coat while Miley Cyrus is twerking. I, I could imagine a Miley Cyrus as this sort of painted pinup art on the side of a, you know, on the side of a biplane or on the side of any kind of fighter plane, right? Like that would be. Uh, I like that. Yeah. So Miley Cyrus is always twerking the plane as the plane flies off into battle. <laughs> <laughs> Miley Cyrus is always always already twerking. As he said <laughs> with Derridean uh, glee. Um, all right, so I'm. Uh, I mean, I I think that this um, whole thing has been kind of a, a bad movie. You know, this whole twerking incident. <laughs> <laughs> Pete saw it. Pete sees the joke coming a mile yeah, off. I, I should uh, give it away. <laughs> uh, I I think that that the coverage. No, wait, also... my bad. Did, did you answer the question? Are you answering the question? I am answering oh. the question. Oh. oh, maybe you don't see the joke coming a mile. No, off I don't see the joke coming away. You think I'm referring to Getaway, which scored an impressive <laughs> two on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> and stars Selena Gomez, another yes. Disney starlet who is not yet given over to twerking, though. Though, give it time, as we say on the TFT podcast, uh, uh, it is the telos of the girl to go wild. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we say it in a slightly different context. It's not as offensive as it sounds. Um, it's offensive, but not as offensive as it sounds uh, when, we, when we say it over on the TFT podcast, uh, which will be coming back after a, a long summer break uh, this fall. But no, um, this whole episode was like a bad movie. And who is the king uh, of bad movies? Why, none other than Ed Wood, portrayed by Johnny Depp in uh, Tim Burton's Ed Wood. So I, I would like to see... Um, Miley Cyrus twerking uh, Ed Wood while he's dressed in women's clothes um, in black and white, you know, shot in that uh, extremely beautiful uh, charoscuro lighting uh, in in uh, in that film that that like uh, not not even Martin Lando as Bella Lugosi could improve on that scenario in my mind. So uh, who saw who saw Getaway? I saw Getaway. <laughs> God help me! I saw that movie. None of you saw that movie. None of you saw that movie this time, right? Did, well, Pete, did you did you think? I mean, we're not. We didn't settle on that as the movie for no. the podcast. So you you, no. you just went of of your own volition. That's true. Well, I got a discount be- ticket. What did, did you believe that it? Um. 
Well, hold, okay, hold that thought about the discount okay. ticket because I think we need to. I think we need to dig into that a little more. I mean, okay. you you weren't under the impression that we had settled on that as the film that we were going to watch. No, 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 no. I, I mean, see. we were joking about it. Yeah, no, we were joking about how we were we were looking for a movie to see and we weren't going to see the One Direction movie. <laughs> and so I, I looked at Rotten Tomatoes and the thing right there at the top was a freaking action car chase movie with Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez in it that had two percent. And I was like, guys. Okay, so you say you say that you got a discount ticket as though that somehow excuses, <laughs> <laughs> or as though that somehow provides a sufficient rationale for having gone to see this movie. And I'd like to point out that even in these days of exorbitant ticket prices, the most expensive one is only what you know, twelve, fifteen bucks, and that at the outside, right? Or maybe twenty uh, if you're twenty seeing bucks it. for three D IMAX in New York City. Okay, yeah. well, fair enough. It's it's about the same. Uh, it's about the same here. So, okay, uh, a discount movie ticket, right, uh, could save you, what, five bucks, right? Pretty much. And, and yeah. I'm saying that that for five bucks, would you let me poke you in the eye with a pushpin for two hours? Yeah, it won't discount your time. Yeah, right. like it won't give That's you two point. hours of your life back right. for five well, I mean, bucks or, or well, i mean for five fewer bucks i should say would I, I mean this is like a very intricate problem in behavioral economics right like because what uh you know you you wouldn't there there are things that you would uh save uh, you would do to save five bucks and there are things you wouldn't do to save five bucks and your um <laughs> your your decisions about those are not necessarily economically rational for example if i said pete can i hit you in the head with a rock uh in order to save five dollars you you wouldn't do it and yet you went to see this film to save five dollars and i'm just wondering where we draw the line sir Oh, well, I guess it was clearly, yeah, it's not just about the, the value of dollar for dollar, I suspect. Um, I mean, there was an additional factor in that there is a new movie theater that is near my place, which is not so much a new movie theater as the old crappy movie theater on the Alewife Brook Parkway, the Entertainment Cinema Fresh Pond, closed and has been replaced by a new crappy movie theater, <laughs> the Apple Cinema at Fresh Pond. Uh, and they're that sort of low rent, kind of drab, not very well cleaned. And I don't mean to be mean to these people, but like... There, I mean, all of the mid-sized movie theaters in town have pretty much shut down except for the really culturally anchored art houses. Right? I don't know if this has happened in the cities where you guys live, but the only movie theaters left are either indie art places with cred or giant megaplexes. Like the, the sort of the movie theaters that I remember having to go to to watch the PG-13 action movies of my day that were sort of like kind of crappy and I would be there with, you know, be a bunch of other 15-year-old dudes and we'd see Wing Commander or whatever was going on. <laughs> like the, they would play the movies that the other theaters wouldn't play uh, and, and maybe a little bit later or whatever and had the X-Men game that you could play outside of the movie. Like those kind of theaters aren't really around anymore. And so I was excited to see that this new theater opened up, and I, I don't know, after moving weekend in Boston, which is just crazy, and helping a bunch of people move this weekend, uh, I decided that I wanted to go for a walk and sort of get away, get out of, uh, get away, haha. And I was like, oh, you know what, I'll go, I'll go use this movie theater for the purpose for which it was intended, which is to see a 
PG-13 terrible movie that isn't playing in any other movie theater around. <laughs> um, but also, I was curious. Like, I was morbidly curious about, like, what is what are Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez doing in a movie together? Like, why are they there? And, and I'm all intrigued. I'm intrigued by movies that are seen as bad. And I'm not going to say I'm intrigued by bad movies, because that's not the case. It's that when I hear from a bunch of people that a movie is really bad, I get curious as to why. Because I feel like, especially a lot of movie critics uh, in the sort of commercial press, they watch so many movies that when a movie is bad, you can kind of tell that they wrote it off halfway through. And they're just like, oh, this is terrible. This isn't right. worth my time. I'm just going to write a review that's bad. I don't quite uh, approach it on any sort of level to engage with what's actually happening. So, like, Getaway was reviewed as, like, this movie is really boring and it's kind of stupid and, and it's, the characters are really mismatched and it's terrible acting and, it, and none of the plot is explained. Um, but, like, they don't really get into just how perverse and strange a movie it is. Mm. And just, like, <laughs> can, I, can I jump on something, yeah. Pete, before you get to, uh, to very much into the, into, the, yeah, 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 yeah. into the weeds of the movie itself? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, for me, the attraction to seeing uh, a movie that is sort of described as really bad, like, yeah. you know, I'm thinking of RAPD, which we all saw mm-hmm. earlier this summer, is this idea that's out there is that uh, because movies are such a big business and because they're so, uh, ris- these big movie studios are so risk adverse, is that movies are starting to, what, uh, revert to the mean, right? Like, movies are becoming, supposed to be, are supposed to be very formulaic, they're supposed to be following, like, typical story beats that we're all very familiar with, they're just supposed to basically just copy the last thing as, as a kind of successful and then tweak that a little bit and theoretically shouldn't that um sort of weed out or reduce the number of movies that are real spectacular failures on like a two percent rotten tomatoes type of thing the- I-, I say that you know i put that out- idea out there but i don't agree with it because i think there's so much um sort of uh, accidental like serendipitous things that happen that going into a movie that can take you know something that would otherwise be sort of on the mean and make it really great or make it really terrible which appears to happen in this case yeah, I do think that there is something to be said for mediocre is the new terrible, where like huh. the new worst movies that you see reviewed are like Gerard Butler romantic comedies, of which there are many, right? It's like, and the, the worst sin that a movie can can uh, can commit is to be unremarkable. Um, just have nothing special about it and to be totally the same as everything else because that's the really huge pressure that's on movies now from all the the competition across the entertainment landscape is to actually go to the theater to see the movie it has to be special and or it has to like call for you to see it and if the only reason you see a movie is because it's like in the demographic that you're supposed to be able to you know you're you're in the target audience it provides sort of what you want you're going to order it much like a cheeseburger and eat it and enjoy it while you're eating it and then just leave um, I mean, people say a lot of the time, oh, that movie was a popcorn movie and it was entertaining, but it wasn't very good. And they say it about, like, colossal movies that are, like, kind of groundbreaking in their own way. Like, they'll say that about, like, um, like, like Thor, for example, right? It's always a popcorn flick, right? And it's like, well, Thor is, like, a pretty freaking ambitious movie, right? Like, and it's got a lot going on. And it's like, it's not, this, it's not really a mediocre throwaway movie, you know, like The Breakup, Right, like, or, you know, like it's, um, which a Vince Vaughn romantic comedy. I apologize. Um, well, actually, I don't know if the breakup is actually that bad because I haven't seen it, so I shouldn't be that mean about it. Because maybe that one is good. I don't know. Maybe that one sticks out as the best. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Kind of gets back to what we we're talking about. You know, giving you grief about the five dollar ticket, which is, I think, ten twenty years ago, there it was a little more acceptable to have a movie. It's like, oh, it's a good movie to you know, you pay your money and you get to sit in the air conditioning and watch an entertaining thing on a big screen. Mm-hmm. But if you want to watch something entertaining on a big screen in the air conditioning now, you just do it at home. 
and you yeah. pull it up on Netflix. You don't have to go to the movies to watch something that is mediocre. That's just and these, know, that there's a TV show that does the same thing but better. And these yeah. teenagers are twerking on each other all the time. They don't. <laughs> they don't need to. Um, I, 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 will, I will say, especially, there's something decadent. It's, it feels decadent to go to the movies on a Sunday afternoon by yourself and see a movie that nobody says you should see. Right. <laughs> like, and you were, just, probably, you were probably alone in the movie theater, right? There were only three other people there. There was this middle-aged woman in the back row who I think left halfway through, and there were these two teenage guys who, who probably were like 14 or 15 years old and just like action movies. And they were like, oh, are you going to see the, the Hunger Games too? And it's like, no, man, it's called Catching Fire. Like, really? Wow. Like, it's like, oh, <laughs> to, to be that young, right? Um, to, like, to not have already been aware through the blog sphere of the name of the book the movie is based on and all that stuff. I, don't know. <laughs> I saw... Uh, I don't know. You know, I live near a movie theater, and I saw uh, uh, my girlfriend and I were out for a walk the other night, uh, and um, we uh, walked past the movie theater into a little neighborhood that we like to walk through, and uh, we rounded the corner to behind the movie theater where all the you know emergency exit doors lead, and it's this you know large facade of this building because there are no windows, obviously, it being a movie theater, and uh, we rounded the corner, and what do we see but like two teenagers, two like mid-teen teenagers like totally going at it just making out <laughs> and we uh making it out making it out <laughs> <laughs> they are making it out um uh and they uh and we thought um we thought well good for them like that's something you don't ever see uh anymore unless you uh unless you go to the movie unless you go to the movies on opening night and right and, and sit sit uh sit among the teenagers like good good for you for not just like taking dirty pictures and texting them to one another or something <laughs> like that right like good for you for standing up for old fashioned misbehavior right like old fashioned kind of uh uh kind of stuff going out to the to the movie theater to make it out right uh i i don't know i felt and it sort of felt i felt oddly nostalgic right like uh i felt oddly nostalgic for for a, a time before you know the most depraved acts of sexual theater known to man were available in our email spam folders every day and uh and you know played on the video music awards on mtv right exactly a pre a pre-twerk a kinder gentler pre-twerk america you know and <laughs> I, I, I i don't know it's it's it, we gave these two teenagers a wide berth and continued on our walk, which is the only thing you can do. But we, we, you know, we were uh, happy for them, you know, to 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 have found this sort of old fashioned, uh, mm-hmm. to have found this sort of old fashioned, such an old fashioned thing as smooching, which I'm not sure if the kids do anymore or if it's yeah. just like twerking and texting. Yeah, just a really old, like a really old fashioned, wholesome sort of teenage romance, like Selena Gomez and Ethan Hawke, <laughs> right? <laughs> I have to look up how old he is. I was about to say, I'm on IMDb right now. Yeah, he's 43. Yeah. He's 43. And, and Selena Gomez just, no, 42. Turned, just turned 21. Okay, so he's literally twice her age. He's 42 and she's 21. But the thing is that she's 21, but she plays a character who like looks 16 in this movie and acts 16. Like she, that, That's kind of a big problem. And I think this is something that we could also connect back with the Miley Cyrus stuff. And I know the Miley Cyrus stuff has been done to death. And I hope that our listeners were like, oh, God, they're going to talk about this right when we started talking about it. We sort of meant to touch on it. But like it's, it's – I mean Selena Gomez in this movie – 
uh, she's the first moment she shows up, she's wearing a Detroit Tigers hat and a hoodie, and she has a gun. And she jumps into Ethan Hawke's car and points the gun and is like, get the out like oh sorry i chili pepper note the time so you could go back and, and beep that i cursed because i was so upset about this movie hold on um, one second so so selena gomez shows up in like sort of gangsterish gear like like trayvon martin quality gangster where like you sort of don't have a reason to be scared of her but clearly like the media wants you to think that way and uh and and threatens to shoot ethan hawk the gun is is promptly taken away from her and she never has a kid in the movie and then and like she's flipping the bird to people she's giving people the middle finger out the window of the car but it's a pg-13 movie so they never say the f word like i sometimes do by accident uh and so she says like screw you a lot or like we're totally screwed like they use the words and it's just it felt a lot like this this lunge to try to change it's this like very cynical lunge to try to adjust the age of the average age of the focus group the response most positively to the, your face's Photoshop presence on a movie poster, right? It's like, oh, can we please make Selena Gomez appeal to people who are like two or three years older than the ones who that she appeals to now? But she freaking looks like 15 and she acted like 15. Then just because you curse and do like, you know, tough street stuff doesn't make you not look cherubic, right? Like there's not much that you – and also like the flirtation with the 42-year-old guy in the movie was weird. But um, that's, that's like, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it. Well, sure, but if that if that sort of thing bothers you, then you may as well write off like seventy percent of American culture. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's that's, here's the. (laughs) I I don't want to take up the whole podcast talking about the getaway, but I did see it. I know it's too late, and we'll move on to other stuff soon. But like, but I would say that Matt, I was thinking about you because this movie, yeah, because this movie (laughs) exemplified for me some of the stuff that you talk about when you talk about Law and Order SVU, which you do a lot. In that, like, it's it sets up this kind of crusading moralistic stance um, uh, of a sort. It gives itself a very strong moral occasion that's very upright to try to proceed, but is very very obviously titillating you with this very stuff that it is. that it condemns right in that like um so like right this is the this is the donkey effing conundrum right like yeah you know you i'm sorry you go you're talking about midsummer night's dream and it's the idea that like you put the donkey on stage in midsummer night's dream because there's something thrilling and transgressive about seeing the donkey you want to see her f the donkey (laughs) like you want that you know come to terms with that in yourself right really like (laughs) arrive at a like a place of gush holistic self-acceptance where you understand that you are the sort of person who wants to see Titania F the donkey. I know I've said this yeah. before, you know, on this podcast. Yeah, it was like freaking 400 years ago. <laughs> and Miley Cyrus does it this last weekend and everybody goes crazy. Um, so no, no, I she, she was like, twerking like, the, she was not effing the donkey. She was twerking the zombie, right? Like, so, uh, right, oh, Oh, I thought the bear was the the one. That's a little bit closer. I guess Robin Thicke is a clo- is more of a of bottom than the bear was. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking. Um, of, so, I was thinking of Beetlejuice, honestly. Beetlejuice. Oh, Beetlejuice. Right. Ah. He's- <laughs> Harvey. No, um, so uh, so I do want to say my name. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for you only the have to say get his away. name once. 
<laughs> Spoilers for the movie Getaway. Don't see it. Um, so don't worry about it. Uh, but I, I will. I wanted to describe to you what this movie is about, all of you, because the thought of it boggles my mind. Okay. So, I mean, the first thing that the movie is about is that it's, it's a car commercial for the Shelby Mustang Super Sneak, which is a very specific sort of souped-up muscle car that you can purchase with money from uh, people that make it in real life. And these people use this money to pay movie movie studios to make movies in which the car is prominently featured and perhaps is the only sympathetic character in the entire movie um and like like there are lots of shots in this movie where the the like the characters are talking but like the shelby logo is just the thing the camera is focusing on um the best shot in the movie is a two minute long sequence uh where the camera is mounted on the hood of the car and they drive the high speed chase through the streets of sofia bulgaria right like and it's just one long two-minute shot of driving fast in the car, and that's, like, the most interesting best shot in the movie, like, by far. Um, so, so the plot is as such. Ethan Hawke is a retired NASCAR racer, uh, car racer. Who plays who by his got, own uh, rules. <laughs> he got out of the game because he thought he wasn't good enough for something along those lines. And he was and driving he by his own rules. Exactly. And he has a job that's never disclosed. And he uh, and, by his own rules. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so one day he comes home and finds that uh, John Voigt, who plays a German accent with no name, <laughs> who only appears uh, via pictures of his mouth and sometimes of his sunglasses uh, as he drinks martinis at a fancy club through the course of the entire movie. Uh, John Voigt has decided to kidnap Ethan Hawke's wife uh, in order Order to have leverage so as to demand that Ethan Hawke do a variety of dangerous and silly things. The first of which is to steal a car. You'll know what car. Go to this parking garage and you'll see it. And we, of course, like see the shot of all the cars in the parking garage and it focuses on the Shelby Super Snake, which is clearly the coolest car there and the car that Ethan Hawke has to steal. And so Ethan Hawke has to steal his car from the parking garage and then he has to drive it around the streets of Bulgaria, of Sofia, Bulgaria for two hours, well, for an hour and, nine, an hour and 30 minutes, while John Voigt just tells him to do stuff over the phone's handy-dandy built-in phone navigation and streaming video system. So, Wait, you mean this, so, this this amazing car, renowned for its attractiveness, has a video yeah. conferencing system built in? Yeah, there's like literally, there's literally a scene in the movie where John Voight yells at Ethan Hawke to throw his phone away and then calls him on the car's phone. <laughs> Uh, the car's built-in phone, just to show you what a cool feature it has. Um, and so, and so, yeah, he does stuff like he says things like drive into that truck full of water bottles, which he does, and he drives into a truck full of water bottles. He it, 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 for no reason, nothing happens. Well, he got because- the undercoating, so it's okay. Exactly, exactly. It's armored. It, he's, it's, it's, it's said very early on that the car is armored, which is the only way to explain how it isn't totally destroyed and annihilated by the many things it crashes into at John Voight's specific command over the course of the movie. So it's basically like, literally like, um, like you know how if you see a movie like, say, Live Free or Die Hard, right? Uh, there's a lot of movies where you can be kind of insulted. Live Free, Live Free or Die Hard is funny because it, it's tongue-in-cheek about this, but there's a lot of movies like that where a big weakness is that the movie is just a series of action sequences, and the plot only really serves to move the characters from one action sequence to another. And you sort of feel a little bit offended and bored when that plot is, like, really phoned in or bad. Right? Where it's like, well, it's like this character's like, I have to go out for vengeance, therefore I have to jump out of this plane. You know, like, alright, fine. You know, it's, it's forced. In this one, there is no 
character-motivated reason for them to do anything. There is literally a man on a phone yelling at the protagonist to do random crap, right? Like, drive through the park, like, chase for the... Turn left! Turn right! Um, and, and it's just... And it's amazing. And Selena Gomez shows up as a street-smart, sassy, uh, computer hacker, uh, sexy oh, teenager... Oh, God. No, no, no. She's... <laughs> who is also the daughter of the CEO of the biggest investment bank in Sofia, Bulgaria. <laughs> and she is the person who owned and personally souped up the very same Shelby Supersnake car that Ethan Hawke has stolen, uh, which has all been set up by John Voight in an elaborate plot to steal some encrypted uh, empl- uh, uh, client account information from the investment bank. Um, now, the okay. first thing that you might realize is that the only person who would care about this plot is an investment banker, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh, they're going to steal the codes that I have on my flash drive that's encrypted for my clients on this. Man, well, that's fine, though, because they're trying to sell the car, and only the investment bankers are going to buy the car. So it doesn't matter if anyone else likes the movie. That's the point of the movie. Anyway, Matt, I interrupted you. What were you saying? Well, I, I have a theory now about the, from what you've said about the film. I have a theory about it, right? I think okay. that John Voigt is the voice of the like the global financial system, uh, and he is making demands on Ethan Hawke because I don't know uh, a lot about Mr. Hawke's life, but apparently he's gotten uh, in over his head as far as some debts or whatever that he has, and he has to make this film uh, in order to pay them. Right now, yeah, on overthinking- I'm pretty sure. Everybody who, was, every, everybody who was in the purge has crippling personal debt. Like that's true of Lena Headey and Headley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the pur- I, so I just want to say, like, the purge made a a, a poop load of money for uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for what it cost. Like, the purge, you know, I don't know, did like ten x business or something like that. Um, uh, so right, so uh, he he and and all the things that he has to crash into. Uh, this is a metaphor for Ethan Hawke uh, spending his considerable artistic integrity uh, by making this film for the paycheck um, and, uh, you know, doing doing sort of pointless movies uh, like this one. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I tended to see, like... In terms of what this is a metaphor for, well, okay, so there is a scene in the movie where Ethan Hawke extols how smart it is to be a banker um, because bankers have so much money and how he wishes that he had been a banker, uh, which is a very strange thing for anyone to say in a movie these days, given the culture, <laughs> which is what part of what led me to think that this movie was made for people who would buy the car. Um, but I do think in the same way that The Fast and the Furious uses cars as metaphors for personal relationships, this whole movie is an elaborate metaphor for like buying a car. Like It's, it's all about why you would buy car and how you would buy a car and what buying this wonderful product would do for your life. Um, and in that sense, like the, the sort of the crashing into things, um, I mean, the movie is called Getaway, right? And, and it, it is ostensibly about a midlife crisis in which a man who has sort of given up on his dream and has a wife and family uh, gets to live out the dark fantasy of his wife being kidnapped so that he can drive around in sports cars with teenage girls, right? Like, um, it's, it's, it's like, and that's what I was talking about when I was saying it was transgressive. Right. It's like, 
it's like, oh, Ethan Hawke, it's okay that you get to drive around in the car with midriff bearing Selena Gomez. You have to. You're being forced to. In fact, your wife is totally cool with it because if you don't, she'll die. You're under right? a like, it's spell like, <laughs> that says you have to F yeah. the donkey, right? Exactly. It's like, look, you, you have to have this flirty chatter with Selena Gomez if you love your wife. You have to do this, right? Like, and it's, it's just, um, I mean, that's what I was talking we about when to, I said the We have to like destroy this, this marriage in order to save it. Uh, well, it's, it's just about a guy. It's about fantasizing about, like, not having your life. It's about, like, uh, and about, like, oh, it's almost, it's almost like, oh, what if a regular person found out they were a super spy, right? Um, except there's, you know, oh, he happens to be a race car driver. I don't even know. So, so let me know. ask you this. If, if, if okay. all of the, the messages are coming through his phone or through, like, the speaker, is it possible that John Voight is just in Ethan Hawke's head? And he's just, this is all like a Fight Club style movie. He, like his wife is fine. Yeah. And he's just, he's broken and now wants an excuse to drive around in the I, I, I would, old days. If we're going to do that, let's like double down and say he's not even married. <laughs> it's just like, my imaginary wife has been kidnapped by terrorists and oh, I'm the only bad enough dude to drive his Mustang. That's terrible, <laughs> Pete, because then it becomes a movie about like, uh, grooming children for you know sex trafficking right that because that's what he's doing I mean, with honestly you know with yeah Selena i mean that, that's what i feel like the movie is i mean people talked about the negative moral implications of miley cyrus twerking all over on robin thick i felt like this movie i feel like selena gomez got off real easy in, in the fact that nobody saw this movie and therefore nobody is able to talk about just how creepy and inappropriate it is like like <laughs> Her, 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 like, consoling Ethan Hawke, like, the way she's filmed. Like, there's a scene where, and I really should stop talking about this movie so we can go on other stuff, but, like, there's a scene where Selena Gomez has been kidnapped after, so Ethan Hawke has saved his wife, and Selena Gomez gets kidnapped this time again, and she's being taken, and the wife tells Ethan Hawke, like, the whole Bulgaria police department is there, and the wife turns to Ethan Hawke and is like, you need to go get her, right? Like, you need to go save the teenage girl that you were driving around in the car with, which is, by the way, her only line in the movie in which she's not screaming or begging for her life, is when she's encouraging her husband to go rescue you selena gomez so he gets in the souped up car and drives after her and there is a scene where selena gomez is talking about how like there's so many scenes in this movie that are very thinly veiled fantasies about midlife crisis or about being like a very wealthy urban person right who is who is trying to fantasize about a very wealthy urban professional who fantasizes about being some sort of action hero right in this scene selena gomez has a like a phone like a like a camera like a video flip camera of some kind that i don't think it's a phone because her phone gets thrown out the window but it's something like that she is holding it in her lap and she is videotaping herself right and sending video to ethan hawk who is watching it on the ipad that she left so she left this little ipad in the car and he is like watching her on the ipad as she is trying to feed him information as to how to chase down the car and so the car chase is like heating up and accelerating and like there's like grainy hand cam video digital video of selena gomez looking down into her phone like breathing heavily and kind of yelping and moaning in surprise and anguish at the circumstances that are happening like it's it's basically an anthony 
wiener situation is happening here. Like, or I mean, the other way around. It's like, it's like, yeah, this is like, like Ethan Hawke is Snapchatting with a teenager. Yep. In this in this scene, that, that's what's happening. And like, if you know what what, because it's like, why does Selena Gomez pull out a video camera halfway through the movie and start taking videos of everything? What's well, like, well, that's what young girls do, right? That's that's what they do. And if you have them in your cool car, that's what they'll do in your cool car, right? Like, and it, to me, it really communicated a a problematic relationship. Right, like, like, like Miley Cyrus twerking on Robin Thicke, like he wasn't even really into it. He was just into himself and doing his song thing. He just happened to be the object that happened to be there at the time. She was the object that happened to be there at the time. I don't believe that they went backstage and made out like after the show. Right, like I don't feel like that really communicated a relationship between Miley Cyrus and Robin Thicke, which is really where it would become problematic. Like, just I mean, they're both of age, so like just dancing together, there's not really a harm that's done by them just dancing together. The problem with a much older man and a much younger girl is is when or woman is when you get into a relationship and there's a big power imbalance and there can be emotional manipulation or it's really hard for people to treat each other like equals and, and it becomes very difficult. Like this movie was all about forming a really inappropriate relationship with a much older man and or much younger woman and how awesome it is if you drive a cool car that you could have that. Um, and, and of course it was about selling the cool car because if you have the cool car and your wife doesn't like you, then you don't have to be around her because uh, she'll be kidnapped by terrorists. Right? And it's... <laughs> <laughs> it was just awful. It was mean. It was mean and wrong and evil and bad. And <laughs> they should be ashamed that they made it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what, I, what I am, what I am, is a man with a very special set of skills. Yeah, right. You know, for driving. Did I just gross everybody out by talking about this? No, I life? no, Pete. Honestly, yeah. no. Right? Like, yeah. I think we have to look at these things. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Like, if you want, to, I think there's a lot of like pious and self righteous hand wringing about. Um, about the cl- decline and fall of Western civilization or uh, about, you know, a lot of the sort of institutional and a lot of the kind of more individually oppressive instances of sexism in our culture. And I think that you, you, you have to sort of examine these things. I mean, you have to sort of look at them in a way that is, that is sort of non-normative and like describe what is going on accurately, mm-hmm. right? I think that making like accurate positive claims about, uh, uh, you know about just the content about just the 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 manifest content of these things um of of our entertainment of the the cultural message is right is the first step in in um i don't know in in building a better world and then you know that's what we're all about at overthinking it well i'm not sure that a movie being terrible is an excuse for it to be terrible Yes, that's a, that is so well put. Because this movie was bad, but it didn't have to be evil, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like there are lots of movies that are bad just because they're not particularly well made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this movie was very well crafted. Like, like the people, the car commercial people who made the car parts in this movie. Like, I'm sure they they do a great job selling cars. Like, do you ever watch one of those car commercials where they're driving around the mountains and you're like, I wonder what the backstory is for this? <laughs> they don't wonder that either. They just try, like, there's the car. Make and turns and stuff. Um, but anyway, they, they, that, they shoot yeah. a lot of them in Ventura County, where I used to live. So I'm always like seeing bits in the in the background of commercials. Where I'm like, hey, that, that's my house. But yeah, huh. but just 
that either has to be either the car company has to be selling those cars for a lot of money so that they only have to sell a couple hundred of them and make up the cost of this movie <laughs> and or this movie must be part of some sort of tax scheme or money laundering operation i think it was the last movie the studio that made it made before it was acquired and consolidated into a different like it spun off from warner brothers and joined universal so it's sort of a throwaway project but i feel like there's something very shady going on here and the fact that it's all made in bulgaria no offense to bulgarians but it's like oh by the way it's like made with american actors from american audience entirely in eastern europe that makes me wonder what's going on with its finances <laughs> it's so concerned with money laundering and and financial fraud and like yeah. although there is a great scene where ethan Hawke is like are there bearer bonds and selena gomez goes how old are you <laughs> that's funny i i love that the uh you know um yeah, it is, it is good to be banker. I don't know. That's a terrible Bulgarian accent. I don't even know what they talk like in Bulgaria. Hey, hey, hey. So one thing, very important thing we haven't addressed here uh, is it that you know, this is a movie about driving cars uh, and it deals with financial themes as well, right? Yeah. So is there some spectacular crash in this movie <laughs> in which a lot of the people are hurt except for like, you know, the people with all of Except for John Voight. There's, I mean, lots of people die um, in the movie for no reason. Like, there's, there's definitely, there's a scene that's probably pretty telling about if you want to talk about financial crashes and stuff. Uh, there's a scene where John Voight directs Ethan Hawke to drive into the middle of some sort of what appears to be a rally of some kind, like either a political or civic rally where a, a gray-haired Bulgarian man is speaking to a throng of people in a public park and directs Ethan Hawke to drive into the stage where the man is speaking. And Ethan <laughs> Hawke says, but that'll kill him. And he says, do it anyway. And so he's like, he goes, okay. He drives, he like clips the lighting fixture and the lighting fixture falls in a shower of sparks and the stage collapses. You're briefly shown an image of the man's face before he's presumably killed. Um, and I mean, it's like, I thought at the moment that it's like, oh, okay, John Voight is trying to assassinate political figures, right? Yeah. Like, John Voight is going to make Ethan Hawke drive around Bulgaria and just kill with his car all of these people that are trying to stop him from doing his, his, his plot. But no, this is just a random guy that had to die uh, for no reason. Um, and oh, and by the way, John Voight wins in the movie. Uh, he has not stopped. Uh, he does oh. like Ethan Hawke gets his uh, his wife back, but John Voight has a monologue at the end in which he sort of praises the proceedings of the movie as having been a great test of Ethan Hawke's like awesomeness and showing that he's really a great dude. Uh, before he like packs up all of his billions of dollars and like stolen funds and like leaves the posh club where he's been drinking martinis. So um, so yeah, no, the bad guys win. The the, the, the uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, there's not a financial crash. There is a power plant that is exploded via like remote internet hacking um, in a giant shower of fire, and they drive away from it fast because they're in a car. Um, but yeah, no, that's wow. that's probably the, yeah. It's, exactly. If only, if anything, it's going to to fuel the uh, the Occupy Todor Alexandrov Street. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh man. But anyway, um, I mean, did anybody else see anything better than that this week? <laughs> I'm like, up like half the podcast ranting about this movie. And, <laughs> no, 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 uh, Pete, you, you, you ate up like 80% of the podcast. Oh, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was a fascinating ride. I mean, I felt like a teenage girl stuck in the passenger seat of, a, <laughs> of an incredible muscle car. And all I could do is make uh, batty eyes at you the whole time that we were... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, also, Matt's midriff is exposed this whole time. But then again, that's the case for every podcast. Yeah, that's always wearing the belly shirt. That's true. Uh, yeah, on the podcast, no one knows you're a dog. Yeah. <laughs> or a poor Rosso. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah. Any anything good happened this weekend to anybody? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not a, the greatest segue in the world, but uh, so I, a better segue then. Now that we've we've waded so deeply into sin, is there anyone who can save us through some sort of measure of, uh, say, missionary proselytizing? Uh, musical would be per- perhaps better than just a straight play, but whatever you got. <laughs> Wait, funny you should mention that, Pete. I, I was witness to a mass conversion of uh, an audience of about 500 very very rich people in New York City to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh. We all saw the Book of Mormon together in a movie theater and were so moved by the story that we all joined. We were all baptized into the faith of, of Mormonism. Wait, oh, in, a, awesome. in a movie theater? No, I presume in a movie theater. You, I presume yes. you didn't get $5 off your tickets because I think that even today mm. they're not doing that. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, we were all baptized. We were baptized real good. If any of you know the, the the themes of the uh, of the show you you would think that's hilarious but uh, because a lot of you probably haven't you don't understand what i'm talking about i'm gonna get to that in a second okay i saw the book of mormon this weekend uh, for those of you who aren't aware the book of mormon is a, a wildly successful broadway musical that both skewers and at the same time celebrates uh, mormonism um it is by uh, trey parker and matt stone the guys behind south park and team america world police um and also robert lopez the guy who did the music of avenue q another broadway musical which you probably haven't seen as well because Broadway is this weird niche thing, which somehow qualifies as pop culture, which I'll get to in a second. Okay, Book of Mormon is a fantastic musical. It's one of those things, if you're in New York City and you can shell out a lot of money for tickets because they're very hard to get, otherwise you should totally see it. Yeah, even, love- even now, and it's been running for, it's been running to like capacity it's- crowds for two years. For two years, yeah, yeah, exactly. It is just insanely difficult to get reasonably priced tickets for it, which is why we got unreasonably priced tickets for it and saw it anyway, but still loved it. It was worth every penny that we paid for it. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that I want to talk about with, with, with Broadway musicals, and we, we, this has probably come up before whenever this, this uh, topic comes up on overthinking it, particularly the podcast, is like, what sort of space does this occupy in the popular culture? I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about movies that are pretty wide on wide have pretty wide appeal even the niche tv shows that we talk about like breaking bad you know have uh, a, a strong appeal in in in, in a millions reach millions of people every every episode uh but broadway right i mean what you, you pack a few hundred people into the theater every night it's just those people that happen to come into new york we're lucky to be in new york city to see it or the ones that catch the the touring show or i guess the they set up shop, shop set up shop in chicago and cities like that right the audiences for broadway these types are, are are minuscule and yet right it has a sort of outsized influence on our popular culture and you know as a as i've been sort of processing the book of mormon and and thinking about all, all the hype that it has received over the last two years and and and, and thinking about it in the context of this popular culture which we enjoy i'm like well uh, sure that was a lot of fun that was great but uh, who's seeing this who gets to enjoy this who gets to talk about i mean a full house every for every night for two years is is see is seeing it in the case of that show i mean there was there was an interesting uh oh go ahead ben it's a very slow burn because eventually you know down the road this is going to tour and it's going to go to a bunch you know i think it actually it is already started touring right and then it's going to get you know companies and then it's going to get vegas and then it's eventually you know and a movie is going to get a movie yeah Yeah. um so it it just it 
enters, but just much more slowly than a movie which releases everywhere all at once at the same time. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I read something on the AV Club, I think it was last week or the week before, uh, which is a site that does stuff sort of similar to us. So if you like us, you might like them, maybe. Uh, but not yeah. as good. Perhaps, uh, <laughs> yeah. The AV Club, perhaps you've heard of them. Yeah, and maybe it was that, maybe it was somewhere else. But it was about what would have happened if, if uh, Winnie Holzman, the creator of My So-Called Life, had gotten her show that she wanted to have run on uh, HBO, like if it had been picked up instead of The Sopranos. Like and she had a show that was being, was in contention for the slot that eventually went to The Sopranos. And what would the world have been like if that hadn't happened? And they went through the entire description of it, and it's like, well, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as good, and all this other stuff would have happened. And only, someone brought up in the comments, in the comments, not even in the article, oh, by the way, this was probably okay for her because she then made Wicked. Right, mm. and it's like, and 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 it's like, and Wicked has made like two point five billion dollars, and has been seen by seventeen million people around the world. Right, like, like Wicked is huge. Now, again, as Ben said, it took ten years. Right, it opened in two thousand three, but a lot, but like, you know, more than twice as many people have seen Wicked than watched the series finale of Sopranos. Um, right, even but that's one episode. It's yeah, about efficiency. It, wicked, right? wicked is a black swan, though. I mean, right? Like, Wicked is a once in a generation phenomenon, but, and 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 like Wicked is not. You know, if you've seen Wicked, Wicked is not a triumph of book writing. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's Stephen Schwartz. It's Stephen Schwartz that people are 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 paying for uh, at Wicked, um, and also I, um, also rhyming with me, sort of star Edina Menzel. Right? Like, I often give along with Denzel Washington to people as guidance on how to spell my name. Like Denzel, see Adina Menzel because she's not on the show anymore. She's not on the cast anymore, right? Like yeah, no, 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 no. Broadway stars they rotate out like every like year. Or but, two, right? but I was but I was saying I, just to kick it back to Mark is that like you know there are uh, there are people who do see it. Yeah, it's not the same scope, not the same scale, and not the same efficiency as see. You know, movies and TV shows, but, but that's like, yeah. I mean, and and Mark, I mean, honestly, not to not to pile on and just just poop on your point, but but like that's like saying, you know, really, what's the effect of Disneyland? You know, uh, only right, only a <laughs> that's couple. Actually, that's not pooping on. I feel like that's a legitimate, interesting thing to bring up, but like, it'll continue. Only, only a couple thousand people, only or ten thousand people or something. I mean, what there are uh, in the Broadway box, and it's funny. I mean, it's funny if you ever get into. Um, and I recommend everybody get into uh, like uh, the deep cuts of the theater business. Uh, Broadway as a uh, as a commercial category is defined as you know theaters over a certain size that are within a certain geographic area uh, in Manhattan. Um, so it's called the Broadway Box, and it extends from uh, you know I don't know 38th Street or something up to to Columbus Circle or or something. Um, and uh, from Ninth Avenue to to Sixth or, or something, there, there's an actual like box drawn around it, right? Like, and in that box, let's say there are, I think, twenty five, thirty theaters, something on the order of that. Okay, two dozen. Each of them holds, I think, at least a thousand. So there are thirty, thirty five thousand people seeing Broadway uh, on any given night. Probably a little more on the weekends, right? That's probably comparable to the. Um, I don't know. Internet, can you tell me what's the daily attendance uh, of Disneyland? Pause while I uh, yeah, so Google. Why, why, why are you looking at it up? I mean, like, one of the reasons why I brought this up 
on this podcast to talk to all of you people who do not live in the New York City area is that like you know, I, I'm very aware of the, the, the fact that I live in this weird bubble, which is New York City. Right. And, and it feels like everybody in this town is talking about the Book of Mormon and how great it is. And, oh, you got to see the Book of Mormon. Oh, you got to see the Book of Mormon. When the reality is that, like, probably 99 percent of our audience like does not have that opportunity. Right. Like maybe the last time you, you audience member, visited New York City for your vacation, um, like you could not see the Book of Mormon because it was freaking sold out or like too expensive for you to see. Right. Um, so, like, I'm just trying to remind myself of the revel- relevance of this particular show in, uh, in in the broader culture. Yeah. I but mean, that, I went to go see – oh, go ahead. Go ahead ben. That, that kind of cuts both ways, though, because for most people, seeing a musical – sure, they don't see very many, but that's why a musical kind of has outsized influence on somebody. Like, you ask somebody, how many – what movies have you seen? And they'd give you this massive list because they've seen hundreds of movies. But for most people – you ask what Broadway musicals they, they've seen, and they're going to be like, well, I went to New York uh, five years ago and I saw Les Mis, and then, you know, ten years before that I saw, you know, Oliver or something like that. And they could probably name you most of the musicals they've seen because most people don't go to very many, and so it has this, like, outsized influence, I think, on a lot of people. Yep. 40,000, by the way, oh, is the, is 40, the answer. 40,000? Yeah, so the, the average daily attendance of Disneyland, right, is comparable uh, just in this kind of back of the napkin calculation we're doing to to the average daily uh, attendance at Broadway, um, of bro- yeah. you know Broadway Broadway theaters. So it's I mean I, I yeah, I'm not that surprised. Is my point is that that it has a uh, that it has an effect, especially since like 80 percent of those people are tourists in uh, in New York. You know. Um, uh, so that there they, are less variety, there are less rides in Broadway than there are at Disney World, though. I don't know. There, there are, <laughs> are twenty. I mean, nowadays, before Giuliani, things were a little bit different in that department. <laughs> hey, but, hey, uh, hey, now we got City Bike. I tell you, that is one through. That that is like that totally beats Space Mountain Bike. Can I just say, like, can I just say quickly about City Bike? Like, I I was in New York around the time City Bike came out, and then the, reading about it online and hearing people talk about just the level of like nervousness and kind of trepidation and skepticism that New Yorkers faced City Bike with. When we have Hubway here in Boston which is the same thing. The bikes are just a different color. It's even the same bikes, right? Like, and it, and it, we've had it for, you know, a year, year and a half. And it's fine, right? Like, and, it, and it's like to see the New York not even stop to wonder what it might be like for anyone other than them to have instituted this particular sort of bike-sharing program, right? It was like, it was just sort of like, okay. This is it. the city of the vocal yeah. minority. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The most vocal small minority yeah. that will just complain about anything. I've often, I've often told my this, – the, the, the anecdote that my – I always tell my – anecdote – the story that I tell my friends is that, like, the New York City Department of Magical Happy Things could create a unicorn pasture inside of Central Park, mm-hmm. and that would cause massive protests. I also had an interesting moment just Broadway-wise where a couple weeks ago I went to go see Spamalot down at the Company Theater in Norwell, Massachusetts, which is down south of Boston about a half hour. good buddy of mine was in it. And um, uh, Brendan Mulhern, who's was excellent. If you ever get a chance to see him do some theater. Um, And they do the scene where uh, we can't have the show if we don't have any Jews. Did I talk about this on the podcast after I saw the show? Probably not. No. Um, And it felt 
totally flat, right? Like this song, like we can't, oh, there's a song in Spamalot where we can't do the show anymore because there are no Jews in the Knights of the Round Table, and we've realized at this point that we're inside of a Broadway musical, and therefore we need to have Jewish people who are in the, in the Knights of the Round Table so that we can be a successful Broadway musical. It's, it's a joke um, about like the outsized influence of, of Jews in like, the yeah. York theater world. Yeah. And I would guess that it would probably do good on Broadway, right? Like, um, But in this, I mean, there were Jews in the audience. There were plenty of them, you know? But it was just like nobody. Like we just – everyone, I think the whole room, I just felt this palpable sense of like you just told us all – told us that you're from somewhere else, mm. right? Like you're not from here. And, and, I, and I like – it's like I thought, I thought I was seeing this show. Maybe that's really what it is. It's that like the audience. Audience, I think up to that point felt that by buying the ticket, they were giving an, getting an opportunity to participate in the act of watching this show, which is something that you don't necessarily usually get to do outside of New York is go see a Broadway show. And you feel like – and of course, it's not, it's not Broadway, but it's a musical that ran on Broadway. And, was and it, I mean, was it a national tour? Was it what, – what level of – No, a company theater is like a regional house. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so, I mean, it was, it was, it's a, it's a you know, big venue, but it's not like a touring company or anything like that. Um, but a, profe- so a professional musical done by professionals. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, that, you know, a mixture, definitely. Sure. Uh, but it was good, and it was good. And I mean, it, it could have been, you know, it could have been better, could have been worse. It was good. I liked it. Um, but it was like the instant that the kind of New York blinders came on the show, it kind of snapped the magic of Broadway. Hmm. Right. And so and I and that was interesting in regards to what you're talking about, because I do think that when people outside of New York engage with Broadway material, they don't see it as my as myopically as New Yorkers see it. Right. Um, did I use the word myopically correctly there? I think I did. Yep. Is that like they don't see it so much as like a niche thing that only New Yorkers get to see. Right. Like is, is they see it as just like as it's musicals. It's like a kind of art that is sort of timeless and spaceless to an extent. And it's also like, I mean, it's the most democratic. I mean, not everybody yeah. paints uh, on a canvas. You know what I mean? Like right. not everybody. I don't know. I can play the violin, but everybody, you know, got on stage in summer camp and sang a song. You know, everybody yeah. did the Christmas pageant at church. Everybody, you know, has stood up in front of their parents or their neighbors or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, sang a little song and, and done a couple moves and, you know, maybe said a line or two, right? Look, like, everybody put on a sequin vest and did an elaborate tap <laughs> dance routine along with nine other professional dancers. <laughs> Look, every Everybody painted his face blue and ate Captain Crunch until his family paid him $65 each for the privilege of watching it. Um, but, <laughs> Look, by the way, everybody <laughs> did a promenade version of Macbeth in which you follow the actors around for three hours as they, uh, yeah. I mean, fair, we, we no, have a fair point, but you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's part of our not not Broadway specifically, but broad, Broadway is. I think that the the like the deeper meaning of Broadway is not what it actually is, which is a you know a particular geographic region of New York where they can charge exorbitant uh, fees for for um, uh, for tickets. It, it's it's sort of like the it's it's the the imaginative apotheosis of like what you do at the 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 christmas pageant you know it's it's the it's 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 imagining your own like i i I don't even i don't even know what people do it's funny like i i honestly got into professional acting at too young an age to to know 
what it is, like, but like, like the Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff. That's what they do in high school. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Like or you're 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 like church doing Brigadoon in the church basement or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. Like or Man of La Mancha. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Like you're you're it's the imaginative. It's the imaginative kind of ultimate apotheosis of that for people. And that, you know, I mean, I don't know. That's what it means. And I think that's why it has or or even like what you do when you like put when you and your sister put on a show, you know, in the living room and like and like manipulate your parents into watching it by crying right like that's that's uh that's what broadway is it's 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 uh it's that you know imagined to the kind of nth degree mm-hmm. I, I hear that and yet i think there's a segment of american population for which broadway is so foreign and so just like not, not part of their uh concept concept of what like the popular cultural world is like i just oh one, yeah totally one, one anecdote for this is that when i was in high school um, and growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, there was one classmate who uh, had traveled to New York City to see Rent, the show Rent, <laughs> my late later part of the, of the last part of the 20th century. Pete, Pete uh, Fenzel's she, favorite musical. She, she had seen it at least a dozen times, if not like maybe two dozen times, right? Within like four years of high school. Just do the math that she's going up there like every few months to see Rent, right? And this just like boggled my mind. I was like, first of all, what is Rent? And second of all, like, like, why go to a place like New York City that often? I mean, like, what, what is there if not, you know, homeless people and, and crime and AIDS? And, and, <laughs> are you and, just and talking about rent now, or are you talking about... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I don't it's, know it's, 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 Yeah, I guess so. Well, Mark, in answer, what is rent? It's the thing that we're not going to pay. We're not going to pay. Oh, yeah? I've heard that song on this podcast before, except in a slightly different way. Yeah. <clears throat> did someone call me? Yes, yes, someone did call you hard. Oh, well, uh, be sure to check out my new work, Kinky Boots. <laughs> Which is, of course, by Cindy Lauper, or, like, based on work by Cindy Lauper, right? Running on the Great White Way. Well, it's based on, it's based on the film. I think Cindy Lauper wrote mm-hmm. the music for this adaptation of the film uh, mm-hmm. with the book written by... Uh, the the book written by Harvey. And if we'd all seen Hairspray before watching Miley Cyrus, we might have had a little bit more of a sophisticated take on the appropriation of racial signifiers. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. It is still problematic. Whatever. Everything's problematic. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> not this podcast, though. Right? No, no, this podcast is golden because I got to talk for like three quarters of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we went, we we went long to to reduce your proportion oh. so that you wouldn't feel so bad about it. Uh, I was noticing that on the clock, and it was alleviating my crushing guilt, and I do appreciate that. I think that's one of the financial industry we call moving the goalposts, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Inflating our way out of the problem is how you call it in yeah, fiscal policy. Pete, you you have to steal a podcast. <laughs> you you will know which podcast. <laughs> it's the awesome one by the oversinking it people. This is a great bucket seats. <laughs> it's right. arm plated, so when it crashes into things, don't think too much about how it can keep going despite all odds. No, it is but. it is armor plated. Um yes. Why did Selena Gomez armor plate her car? I love, Doesn't make any sense. I love that. That's but that's the kind of narrative thing. It's just like a big narrative middle finger. It's like Selena Gomez's middle finger, right in the yeah. middle of the narrative. There's a great yeah. essay by David Mamet um, called "The Windchill Factor." Uh, now, David Mamet um, writes 
just absolutely brilliant plays. I mean, and yes, they're misogynistic, and yes, everything is problematic, and so are his plays, and, you know, yes, they, they lionize a certain kind of cutthroat capitalism that is probably not good for the culture, right, like as a religion. Um, but, uh, you know, but they are compelling, and they are uh, uh, verbally interesting, and, and they just sing. I don't know who gave the guy the idea that he can sit at the big at, at the grown-ups table intellectually, and so like a lot of uh, David Mamet's books about like you know economics and philosophy and Milton Friedman and stuff, like uh, a lot of those you should skip. But he's written a couple things about writing plays, and and they are so interesting. Uh, and one of the things that that he wrote um, was an essay called "The Windchill Factor," and in this essay, the windchill factor is that like. Fudge that fudge factor that that kind of imaginative permission we give to one another to let our stories be interesting and sort of worthwhile telling right like so uh you know, oh, last week, the weather was so cold, how cold was it? Well, oh man, it was like twenty degrees, well, twenty degrees that's not cold, yeah, but with the wind chill factor. <laughs> you know like it's it's yeah. uh it's that just sort of little imaginative leap on the part of the storyteller and the audience to say look listen i know this story that i'm telling is not awesome but but you know what imagine that the story that i'm telling is awesome that was like <laughs> half of what i was doing during the first part <laughs> so, the winter theater yeah <laughs> and it's it's like and it's that it's a little signal to the audience that's like look the the performance of this story like there are other things at play uh, beyond the literal truth of what i'm saying to you you know there there are other forces going on here so let's imagine that my story is awesome and we can actually transact the interpersonal business that i'm here to transact by telling the story and i feel like armor plating is sort of is sort of like that right <laughs> like the, the, no 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 imagine the car yeah yeah but the car is armor plated you know it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. The car is armor plated. Now we can, you know, get back into, you know, staring at Selena Gomez's legs, right? Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> Although she's in a car for the whole movie, so you don't see her legs very much. At her midriff, you know, whatever. Yeah, at her, yeah, at her yeah. gamine nubile pout. Uh, whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever we're staring at. Exactly. Well, you you might be staring at us because you're imagining, you're wondering why uh, we could go on this long uh, for a podcast. Um, uh, well, it's all for you. We're 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 twerking on this podcast. Um, but uh, if you'd like to twerk uh, on, <laughs> we're twerking overtime, everybody. We're twerking overtime. <laughs> um, so uh, hey, happy Labor Day, everybody! If you have anything that you would like to say about, um, uh, pl- let's please not talk in the comments about Miley Cyrus. It's been beat to death on the internet. Not to like you know, not to diminish your academic freedom or anything, uh, but. Uh, uh, let's let's all exercise a little restraint. But if you'd like to talk about Tim Burton or Michael Keaton movies, by all means, <laughs> let's uh, email us at, at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Call, call, or text uh, 203-285-6401 or leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. Uh, did anyone else see The Getaway? What would you like to... Uh, to get away from? Yeah, yeah, to get away from. Um, uh, <laughs> let us know. Uh, does anyone else agree with me that Law & Order SVU is 
really kind of profoundly disturbing. And we, there are like some very basic things we need to come away with as a culture. Like you want to F the donkey. Um, <laughs> You know, the the show notes are are the way to do that. Um, we have uh, we have uh, Breaking Bad reta- recaps. They continue. Pete uh, is running them um, in my absence, like uh, like Heisenberg to my Gus. <laughs> Stay out of my territory. <laughs> it says crunch right on the box. I get that joke now. By the way. That- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really funny. Uh, yep. The, so uh, check out Monday afternoons um, the uh, the video recap. Uh, it's available on uh, on uh, Google Plus uh, and as a as a Google Hangout live on air that you can stream live or watch later. And we're putting audio versions out. And there's a TV recaps podcast feed now that you can subscribe to um, if you want to do that. Uh, we're also um, uh, we're also going to be starting the Ender's Game uh, book club uh, in just a few weeks uh, later on in September, uh, leading up to the release of the film, uh, the the uh, adaptation of Ender's Game. And uh, Ben and I are going to be doing that, and we're going to be using the Overthinking It forums to conduct the discussions um, for the book club and, uh, you know, our normal uh, complement of articles and interesting discussions at www.overtwerkingit.com, where we subject <laughs> <laughs> to popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve I am a Mormon You need to speak more, but you need to speak that song. Say it again, but this time run into a, that mail cart while you're doing it. <laughs> okay, I guess. Wait, wait, wait. Why Why should I run into the mail cart? I'll kill your wife. I'll kill your wife if you don't run into the mail cart. Baby, I think you have not heard the first thing about me. <laughs> oh. <laughs>